and family because everybody's part of this catch wrestling family and we have probably uh let me put my glasses on to see how the hair is today okay joe is not the godmother today his hair is nice he's the godfather uh of the family here joe cardinale joseph hello hello i'm doing very well thanks again for noticing my hair as always it's always appreciated your hair is looking acceptable i would say so appreciate it looks like looks like you combed it for the podcast which is always yes. a plus yeah i i do one of these numbers quite a lot so um so yeah let's uh before we get rolling on our podcast uh topics do your uh weekly plug garuskis sure so uh first and foremost obviously uh the big news that we've been talking about for a couple of weeks now is that we're retiring the Tri-C program. So this is going to be your last time to lock in that pricing. You know, if something like this in the future comes up, it's going to be much more expensive. So you want to get yourself in on this. This is basically unlimited access. Um, well, I shouldn't say unlimited, but basically you have lifetime access to training with Tony, either in person or remote with videos, customized videos. Uh, you also have uh, immediate access to download all his video content. There's like over 30 videos. I forget how many hours or 30 downloads, but it's multiple videos in each. So it's really the entire library of videos. And like I said, anytime you're in the area in Chicago and you can come in and train, that's free to you after that. So it's a lifetime membership. It's, it's the best bang for your buck and honestly, the best way to help Tony out too. So if you want to support Catch Wrestling, support Tony that's what you can do and do it now because the clock is running out on this. Uh, like I said, if anything like this in the future, it's going to be less access for more money. So uh, definitely jump on that when you can. Uh, of course, um, we want to thank people who are our members. We have monthly memberships. Uh, if you cannot pay to train or pay for videos, at least, you know, as a thank you, join up for our membership levels for, you know, watching, listening to these podcasts, watching the YouTube videos, all the information we give out for free, basically. Uh, show your gratitude. It's always appreciated for those who have. Uh, we have a $5 a month thank you level, kind of like a Patreon deal. Um, and then we have the $10 a month where we actually do produce unique monthly videos, uh, something that is not released in any other format. So it's not something you can buy or download separately. This is unique video content for you uh, where we, where, you know, we do, sometimes we do little training sessions or we answer questions, uh, but it's unique. So uh, get access to that for the ridiculously low price of uh, $10 a month. And like I said, there's all kinds of levels of custom training and videos that you can get on Tony's website. All the links will be below, uh, you know, in the descriptions of the YouTube video. And of course, check Tony's uh, catchwrestle.com website for that. Uh, we also like to plug our friend schools. Um, you know, if you're looking for authentic Muay Thai, 
and you're in the uh, Midwest or Chicagoland area, there's the Akai Training Academy uh, up on the north side of Chicago run by Rick Solo. Uh, we've also got, uh, you know, Jason Bender's Bender's Martial Arts. Uh, he does uh, gi uh, <laughs> jiu-jitsu. And um, he also does striking and there's judo there, great school, you know, a very friendly environment, very welcoming. Um, and if you're looking for no-gi grappling, Josh Pacini's uh, 10th Planet Chicago, also on the north side of Chicago, is a great place, a great resource. So those are all things we can heartily endorse. Back to you, Tony. And those are three great guys. Uh, I've only met Rick via the uh, podcast, but I've, I've, I've met Jason, obviously. I trained Jason. And... Uh, uh, I've met Josh. He's come to my seminars and uh, in the past were actually held at his former gym. Uh, so I don't have any firsthand knowledge of Jason or Josh's new place places. They, they, you know, uh, so you can't ask, cannot ask me how, how, what it's like over there, but I'm sure they're terrific. But more importantly, do those two guys I know personally are absolutely terrific. And Rick Solo I've known of him uh, and his reputation precedes him. And I've known his reputation for 30 years or, you know, a long, long time, you know, uh, very, very long time. So um, and I'm still waiting. We're supposed to go to get some Thai food with this guy. Put a, put a wrist lock on him, man. Would you let's go <laughs> get somebody to watch my mom and then we're, we're, we're gone. Um, so yeah, honestly, people, your, your, your instructors, your coaches, your teachers, however you want to label them, uh, personalities go go a long way and i know josh and jason jason are just you know two great great people in this area um and then coming up in december since this is our last podcast of the month of november here because <clears throat> you know people may be watching this two years later after we film this but um we're going to have some exciting news coming up within the next couple of weeks. I think we'll make an announcement, but we're going to hold off because anything that involves my life seems to be quite complicated and always seems to fall through. Uh, so we're not going to say anything until when it almost live when it's happening. Um, but on that note too, I wanted to start off this podcast by stating that I found out this morning that a legendary NFL Hall of Famer passed away, uh, the great Curly Culp. Uh, and he played uh, for the Kansas City Chiefs for many seasons and Houston as well. Boo to Houston because they were Cleveland's rivals. But he won a Super Bowl. Um, and what a lot of people may not know about Curly Culp was that in 1967, while attending Arizona State University, he was our NCAA national wrestling champion. So you have a great, you had a guy, I don't remember what his amateur record was, something like 84, 85, 86 wins, 11 losses, something like that. Um, but he was a national champ and he won some regional uh, championships as well. Um, it's sad that he's gone, but a, a terrific athlete. And, you know, a lot of actors, or actors, a lot of wrestlers, uh, amateur wrestlers that actually have played, you know, pro football. It, you know, I mean, I don't know. I shouldn't say a lot. I don't know what you consider a lot, but there were a few. Uh, uh, Bob Golick and and his brother Mike. Well, Bob played for the Cleveland Browns and the Raiders. Bob Golick, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if he won a national title. He may have, or he 
may have been a runner-up in third place or something. He was an All-American for sure, uh, Notre Dame. Um, and his brother Mike wrestled as well. Uh, boy, there was there's probably a lot that I can't even think. Oh, Carlton Hasselrig, um, Steve Neal, uh, who who actually beat um, Brock Lesnar in the Nationals. Um, these are just the names off the top of my head. Oh, I'm sure there's there's plenty. Um, and Bruce Wilhelm, who was not a football player but was a world strongest man winner a couple times, I think, an Olympic weightlifter. He was also a, a collegiate wrestler. I don't know if he won any nationals, but uh, yeah, you never know. There's a wrestler hidden somewhere. That that waiter that you saw at the restaurant, the bartender, that priest that you confessed your sins to. They might all have been wrestlers at one point in time. You don't know. Well, that crossover with uh, football makes a lot of sense because in high school, it's kind of like the off season for one another. So, like if you're wrestling or playing football in the fall, you're, you know, a lot of those guys wrestle in the winter time. Stay in shape. Yeah, a lot of football coaches want you to do that to stay in shape. So, yeah, it kind of makes sense that if you're kind of excel at them or, you know, if you're a great athlete, that, that seems to be a very common pair. Yeah, uh, it, it, but it's got to be weird if you're a lineman or something. Uh, you know, you can't grab, you can't hold, right? Uh, you can't, you, you know, you can, you can do this. Like if you were a sumo wrestler or something, maybe, you know, that would really probably um, trans, transfer over to football a little better. But, yeah, I guess you, you would have to probably constantly or consciously think, okay, I can't wrap them up. I can't, you know, I can't do uh, certain kind of moves. Uh, wrestler that went, that may come instinctively as a wrestler. I don't know. When I played football, I mean, I was a receiver and a, and a roverback, so I wasn't blocking shit. You know, I was running as fast as I could all the time, so I didn't have to worry about anything else. Have you ever watched any rugby? Not, I mean, only, I mean, only if I was at gunpoint, probably. Um, no, it's just, <laughs> I, no, I've seen, you know, like if I've been, it's like soccer. The only time I'll see, I'll watch soccer is if I'm out and it happens to be on somewhere. Um, soccer is much more popular in, well, probably just in general, but in Chicago, because, you know, I used to frequent a lot of ethnic places, Polish, Italian, Irish. So they're always, they always have their soccer on. Uh, but rugby, I've never seen a complete game of rugby. I've only saw bits and pieces and I, I kid around, but, it's a rough sport, man. Those guys are those guys are uh, they're dogs, man. They're in top shape. Yeah, I've only seen glimpses of it too. Like when, exactly when I've been at bars that are kind of more European themed or whatever, they'll have rugby leagues. I think there's a place, it's a Quenchers or the Globe. I think it's on Irving Park in, in Chicago. Anyways, but they used to have rugby games on. My, my buddy lived in the area. But the, the only thing that struck me though is it looked like their tackles were much more like double legs, and I can't remember. I don't remember, but that was just kind of my impression that maybe there was a little bit more of a wrestling component there. You had that Aussie rules football too. I don't see any of that anymore. Um, uh, Quenchers, by the way, is long gone. That was on the Fullerton. Uh, in oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, that, that was a bar. that Didn't they have like beers from around the world? They, the last time I was in there, they had on the board, I believe it was 265 different beers. Lots of beers. So is that like two weekends for you or how, how long? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, three, three trips. I don't count it by weekends. I count it by how many trips to the ATM. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that was a, that was a three tripper, you know, <laughs> but yeah. Um, 
yeah, I miss that place. Uh, funny, I've always had this dream of the perfect beer, okay? I drink, everybody knows me, knows that I drink High Life, but I always wanted, I just wanted to have this like perfect beer. So anyway, I'm in there with my buddy Dave. He was a student of mine too. He was in town training and hanging out. We go to Quencher's. So we try this beer on tap What the hell. It was unbelievable. I said, this is it. This was the dream beer. This is the best. This is it. So after we left, we went to um, back by my apartment. Um, we went to uh, Benny's or Arminetti's, probably Benny's. I think it was Benny's over there. And they had cans. They had it. So, like, I bought a 12-pack. So I figured we'll, we'll have some and, and then, you know, we'll save it for the next day. Oh, no, he was going back the next day. But anyway, we got home. We got to my place. We cracked it open. I drank it. I'm like, and this tastes like shit. It, it just did not taste like the draft at, at, at Quencher's. Same beer, but it just tasted different. I gave him the, I said, here, take it. Take it with you. I'll never drink it. It'll just, it'll go, it'll go bad. Just take it. I don't want it. So he took it back with him. But so was disappointed. Yeah, isn't it? I mean, obviously, having it on tap is going to be different than getting it from the can. The other thing I've heard, too, uh, depending how, like, how you get the, the out beer, too, it's different. Like, drinking um, Guinness in Ireland tastes different than drinking it here, let's say. Now, that's kind of more of an extreme example. But, you know, I've never been much of a, a stout drinker or Guinness or that, that kind of a thing. But people said, yeah, you go, they basically send their I've heard this about other products too, that they kind of send their, uh, how shall I say it, their lower, their cast off stuff to the States. They're like, you know, here's the stuff that we don't want. And, and the higher end stuff stays in. Like I've heard that about olive oil too, that like the olive oil we get from, the, from Europe is kind of subpar compared to what they have there, that they don't give the best, you know, they don't export the, the higher quality stuff to us. Well, I go to the Italian store for my olive oil. So I, the extra virgin. So I'm assuming I am getting the best, but yeah, I, there was something about now, again, this is probably a wives tale. I don't know if it's true or not, but this thing with like Miller. Um, so they all, they, they, they cast it all from the same vat, but you know, depending on where in the vat gets, you know, you get your light beer, you got your MGD or you got your high life and all that. I don't know if that's true. I've never been to the brewery. It's in Milwaukee. I'd like to take a tour. I mean, all these years I've lived here and Milwaukee's not that far from Chicago or especially from where I'm at now. Um, they probably yeah, have I mean, a, a wing named after you too. Yeah, that's, they probably should at this point in time, you know, they got to keep me alive. Okay. Cause if, if something <laughs> should happen and I should die, there goes their company. Um, but no, all kidding aside, I even have, you know, I, I don't even <clears throat> get out. <clears throat> I never drink at home ever, you know, unless there's a party, you know, once a year of some group of people are here, but no, I don't even like to drink. It's not so much the drinking. I like to go out. I like to be socializing and I like to be with people. That's my thing. You know, I'm, I'm an outgoing, I'm more talkative than most. And, <clears throat> you know, I like to go out, tell jokes, make people laugh, tell, tell stories and just, you know, that's my thing. That's what I like. And it's kind of funny because several times when people would come to train, they want to go out, of course. So after training, we go out. And they're like, man, I learn more shit from you out, out of the gym. Because, you know, now I'm in a real world environment, you know, and I could show, I don't mind showing things, you know, um, 
in public. I've done that a lot, you know. So, uh, yeah, I just like the the real world stuff, you know, kind of captivates me. But, but yeah, Quenchers was, um, and there's another place called Delilah's, which is on Lincoln, and I think Diversity, um, I think they had over 400 whiskeys. Okay, so I went in there. Several years, many well, this was a long time ago when Uncle Vinny was still alive. We went in there. Uncle Vinny drinks absolute, so well, he passed away, but that's what he used to drink, so we knew that they would have that. So the guy goes, What do you want? I said, Well, you don't you won't have what I want. He's like, Oh, we'll have it. I said, Well, I want JTS Brown, Kentucky Bourbon, man. That's that's my thing. Give me JTS Brown. He goes looking through the menu, he goes into the back. He comes back. Yeah, man, we don't have it. I said, you see, you got 400, 400 bottles here, and you don't have a JTS Brown. I said, you can't come acting like you know, like you got everything. I said, so now, because of all of that bullshit, and you made me wait so long, you're going to give me a shot on the house. I think that's the least you can do. And he did. He just said, well, all right, pick out what you want. And I had like a maker's mark or something, just a shot of bourbon, and we left. But, yeah, it's uh, – I could tell you stories about JTS Brown, Fast Eddie Felsen from the movie The Hustler. That's what he drank. So that's how I first heard of it when I was a kid. But yeah, Quenchers is a nice place. Yeah, no, and I, I was definitely sad because I definitely wished I had taken the time to kind of sequentially work my way through through the world there. That would have been a fun kind of little project uh, to just kind of go through. I remember when I went there, I think. I tried some Vietnamese beer or something, just some random thing that I would just pick, but I think it would be fun, kind of fun to just, yeah, just kind of, it'd be a worthwhile project just to work my way through the globe and see what, what things are like. I'm sure there's other places in Chicago that have that. That can't, you know, I'm sure of it. There, I, I, would, I would be very shocked if there wasn't a place, but. That was just a really convenient location too, because that was kind of on the way home for work for me when I was in the city and, and working in Lincoln Park. It was like perfect, you know. Yeah, I live pretty much due, due west of there. I mean, you know, I was on Harlem and Grand, basically. And, uh, you know, Grand turns into Fullerton or it splits, you know, branches off. So it was a straight shot for me to get there. Hmm. And they used to have that really, 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 really great uh, barbecue rib joint and chicken. That's gone, too. I forgot the name of it. I heard that closed up. Hmm. That was right by the movie theater over there. Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, I see. We get we used to get barbecue there before. That was the best. That's all gone. Uh, you know, and that's all before COVID too. Um, so you can't blame it on the COVID, but uh, but yeah, that area is kind of sketchy. There was a bar right across the street on Western from Quenchers. It was more like a like a red rough kind of thing. I used to go in there. I used to kind of like it in there. They had a pool table. And, um, that's kind of interesting in there too. And then, you know, I would make my rounds just, just to see the people that I knew. I miss all that, man. I do. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when we went to Cleveland, um, you definitely made me appreciate uh, bar hopping and how, <laughs> how to stay on the move though. And, and, and eventually find, you know, the clique of people that it's good to hang out with, you know, it, it, it kind of makes sense. 
Look, when we went into that place on the west side of Cleveland, now I'm not a west sider of Cleveland. It, it, it took a lot for me to go to the west side. I mean, we have like a big rivalry, kind of like the north side, south side of Chicago. But look, we ended up running into that guy that knew Rod Von, you know, all of that had a bar. Rod Von, you know, they, he knew him, and you know, it was so you never know. Um, and that's the thing. Um, and maybe I don't know if I'm unique in this way. I don't think I'm unique, but. I don't know if a lot of people think like me, but uh, one of the best ways to know a town or get know an area of the town is to just be around the townies. You know, um, like when I used to travel to do seminars, a lot of times guys would want to show up, show me around, like show off the town. I said, man, the best thing you can do is find a neighborhood shot in a beer joint and just leave me there. Because, man, I'll make the I'll talk to people and I'll get to know people and I'll get to you get their input on stuff. Uh, maybe shoot some pool or just listen to the jukebox, watch some local sports. Um, and I just get, I just think that's just so much fun for me, you know, just soaking it in. Even like Cleveland, that was not really my neighborhood, but not far from my neighborhood. I actually briefly lived one block away from that one place, uh, Yermans. But, um, uh, you know, it, it was great to touch base again, you know, and, and just hear what's going on. Yeah, I love it. This kind of segues into something. If you don't have another theme that I was, I was going to maybe, I don't know if this would, how long, this might take a while, but it was kind of a, an idea I had uh, for the theme here today. Um, and it, it, it's going to kind of, I'm just hopefully it won't come off too awkward or put you on the spot because it's going to be kind of uh, biographical on your part. I'm going to kind of pick your brain a little bit. Um, you know, and I obviously people listening in, I, you know, I'm worried it's going to come off like, you know, uh, I don't know, some kind of weird hero worship or like, um, you know, blowing smoke or whatever. But I think it's worth, I think there's some valuable information for picking your brain on this because as I've been hanging out with you and, you know, I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast, obviously they're where, you know, that you, you've achieved a high level in the martial arts, you know, you've learned your, your unique talent in the world with that. And maybe people, like I said, who've been listening to the podcast are familiar uh, that, you know, you're, you're really, you know, your first love was music and being a musician. But I don't think a lot of listeners are really aware, um, kind of like what I would say, you've achieved kind of an elite level in several areas. Um, you know, I'll just kind of throw them out there. Obviously, everybody knows about your martial arts background. Um, you know, they may know that you're basically a professional gigging musician. You know, in two instruments, you know, drums and um, accordion. Uh, but people may know that you are also a nationally ranked Pac-Man player. That you've achieved high levels with the Pac-Man. And kind of going back to the story where we met Fast Eddie, uh, I got to see firsthand your level of pool playing. So Fast <laughs> Eddie, for people who don't know, I mean, I, I think in our podcast when we came back from Cleveland, we told the story. But just to give some context, uh, Fast Eddie is a guy who kind of, you know. <laughs> Uh, decided like halfway, like when he was about 30, he said, hey, you know, he was bored working and making a living. He's like, I want to have some excitement. And he, he switched his whole life to basically being a pool hustler. I mean, and, you know, he was traveled the country, made his living. That's how he wanted to live his life. So here's a guy who, you know, his obsession was pool and he played it and he complimented you on your pool playing. You know, I watched you play him and he was pointing out, you know, and afterwards, and basically he kind of, it, it he was, he was good enough to know. He's like, oh yeah, he let me win. You know, you, you were being a, a, you know, a generous guy to him, but 
Well, I opened up the first game. I ran all those balls, you know, and then purposely missed on the eight ball. And that, but I ended up winning that game. But the second game, yeah, he knew I let him win. But. but yeah, but I mean, my point being is here's a guy who clearly knows the game of pool and it can acknowledge someone else who's at an elite level. Um, and so to me, that's kind of an impressive thing. Very few people are elite in one thing in their life. They may have one passion, whether it's music or athletics, you know, whatever, you name it, uh, or they may be great at their job. Uh, but there's something there that, and this is what I'm going to try and get at. And I'm going to try and ask you to specifics, because I know ultimately you often admonish our listeners over and over again, there is no shortcut. You have to work at it. You have to put in the time and pay your dues. There's no trick to learning it. But clearly what I'm trying to get inside is like, I want to get some details is that clearly you have some type of repeatable process where you find something that you care about or need to know, like, like in the case of self-defense, you needed to know it. And I wouldn't say in short order. I mean, you, you definitely take your time and work at it. You, you pay your dues. So it's not like you're doing any shortcuts, but I want to understand maybe like, let's take pool for instance, or Pac-Man. Uh, actually, I'd like to have you go through both. All right. Kind, kind of talk us through, okay. You know, I discover Pac-Man, I enjoy it. Or, you know, and I think that later transition to pool, once you're able to get into these bars or whatnot, I don't know exactly, but you know, once you find that this is something, okay, I want to be good at this. What is your routine? How, like, what is your daily routine with that um, activity? What is your weekly pattern? Um, how, like, what do you find yourself doing researching? Obviously, I, with Pac-Man, I don't, you know, I guess there's some research you can do. This is pre-internet also for a lot of your activities. You, like right now, there's a lot of information. If you're, if you're passionate about something, you can find all kinds of resources. But you, for a lot of these things, did not. So anyways, I guess talk us through the... You know, maybe we can start with Pac-Man and then we can go to like pool because uh, yeah, each one of those, I'd be curious to say, this is how much time. And some of these things you were doing in parallel too, like you were training for fighting while you were doing Pac-Man. So I'd be interested to see what was your weekly routine? What was your daily routine? Um, things like that. What are some, what was it like when Tony finds something he wants to kick its ass and how does he do it? Yeah, it's well, well, Pac-Man is kind of like an outlier. Okay. Um, I set the world record at Pac-Man. So if there's a moment in time, technically that I was the best in the world at Pac-Man, the record has been beaten subsequently, but so let's separate Pac-Man. I'll get back to Pac-Man, but pool, I was never like the best pool player in the world. Okay. I was a good pool player. Um, and I want to talk about, let's go with pool. Cause I technically played pool before I learned how to play Pac-Man, obviously Pac-Man didn't come out. I mean, you know, when did it come out? 1980, I think it was, uh, or 81. Uh, I won my championship, set that record in 1982. So, um, and I'll, I'll get to Pac-Man in a second. But the trick for me is I know how, I've learned how to learn. A lot of people don't know how to learn. And now with the internet, they're at a bigger disadvantage than an advantage. And let me explain. It's called information overload. There's just too much shit out there. Okay. Now, some of it is terrible, terrible instruction, terrible everything. But even <clears throat> the grades, okay, whatever your subject matter is, let's say you have all the greatest of all time 
showing videos of technique. It's too much. You can't, you can't learn that way. It's just too much. Okay. Um, for me, I think it was because I learned about my body through the catch wrestling, the science of body. Okay. I didn't learn submission holds and that's it. I learned the body, body mechanics, body structure, how to move. Okay. This is why I'm taking Pac-Man out of this for a second. <clears throat> You'll see why in a minute. These are good questions. You catch me off guard, but I know how your body's supposed to be, even from boxing. Keep your hands up, elbows in, all of this structure, structure, structure. And I used that to my advantage in everything I did. Like when I shot pool, same thing. There's body mechanics there. You don't want to flare your elbows out. You, know, you, don't, you don't want to go wild. You want to follow through. You want everything that made me a good boxer or a good wrestler or fighter, whatever you want to call it, martial artist, uh, pool, you have those same elements there yet. The, 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 your stance, your footwork, you know, your, your feet placement, your, your stance, your bridge, all of this stuff. Your bridge is like your the way you keep your hands up. There's so many similarities. So I was lucky. And the same with the drums. If you ever watched videos of Buddy Rich, the greatest that ever lived, poetry in motion, elbows tight, not all over the place like Animal from the Muppets or whatever. Just tight, everything, all hands, just everything was, you know, when he's doing his crossovers like this, it's just all mechanics, you know. It's, you, so I learned by watching, I was able to duplicate, not to his level at all, okay. I mean, forget it. But I knew enough about body mechanics to watch a good pool player. Actually, let me take that back. To watch a bad pool player and see why he was bad. Oh, his elbow went all over the place, or his hands were shaking, or whatever it was, right? His, his, he wasn't lined up right, you know, with his eyes. So then when I saw a really good pool player, I was able to watch how he moved, watched how he bent over, all of that. And then later, I started to learn the secrets of pool, you know, position, English, speed of stroke, things like that. That really takes a lot of work and a lot of effort. And that's what separates somebody at my level from let's say Shane Van Boning, who's probably the best, maybe the, of all time, right? So they have that intrinsic thing. That being said, all of this only came about because I had a burning desire to be the best, okay? And that's all I ever, I mean, with that kind of desire, and I was lucky with the, with the, with the, with, with Rod Vaughn and my music teachers, that I had the best, the best coaching, the best instruction possible. Um, but with the other stuff where I was more, I, I don't want to use the term self-taught, but well, let's say where I really didn't have instruction, like in pool, uh, Pac-Man, a guy showed me how to play the basic patterns. I memorized them, but, but when I'm my own with that, um, but yeah, it's just having guidance, having the proper guidance, but having that, that damn burning desire where nothing else matters. And then it's time management. I'm, I was really, really excellent at fitting things in, you know, with, with the time. Um, 
I think the drums, I was probably a better drummer than I was an accordionist. I played with many people with the drums around the country. Um, and I, if I didn't do the, the fighting, the martial arts or whatever, the catch wrestling, all of it, um, and just stuck to the drums. And if I would have been able to get a, a drum instructor, uh, I probably could have been, I probably would have been a studio musician somewhere, probably, because I would have been able to channel 100% <coughs> into that. But I knew fighting was the most important thing because without that, I wouldn't be alive. There would be no drums. There would be no anything else that would come down the line, you know, a, a girlfriend, a wife, you know. Um, but really, my best advice to everyone is find something that you do have a desire for and really find yourself a good instructor because you can't be, especially nowadays with all the damn frigging YouTube videos or whatever, you, you'll, you'll never learn. You know, you'll be dabbling. You know, it's like you're going to a buffet restaurant. You know, you're taking a little bit of this, that, this, and it doesn't fit. You know, it doesn't work out. You know, these, these, you're sometimes ending up trying to put a square peg in a round hole. You know, I didn't have to have that problem, okay, because there was none of that, no videos or anything in my day and age. Um, does that kind of help answer your question, or you need more specifics? Well, I mean, that definitely starts to give a good overview of your philosophy and approach, but I was, I was looking for specifics, too. I mean, whatever you're willing to divulge, like, like really. What? Like what? Um, uh, well, uh, specifically, like when, okay, when we, uh, around the area of time management, when okay. you were, when you were gearing up to like, like get your record in Pac-Man and, or whatever else was going on, how many hours, and, and like I said, we can ask that question about whatever. I, I, I kind of, I guess in each arena, if you could answer that question, how much time per day and or week were you putting into something like that? Well, let's look okay, at now we'll get on to Batman. So you saw, you were there where you saw the Mr. Heroes mm -hmm. um, where I did my Pac-Man and you know where I live. So you get the distance, three blocks, um, but shady area and, you know, whatever. So Pac-Man is kind of like, okay, like an enigma here. I would probably put in... Um, two hours on Pac-Man a day. Um, excuse me. You have to remember now, I was doing Pac-Man hardcore, really like my senior year of high school. That's when I set the record, 82, um, and won the uh, that, that tournament at Chuck E. Cheese thing. Um, so my catch wrestling was kind of winding down already. All right, because I mean, I, I had learned everything and it was just a matter of keeping things in perspective. I had more time uh, because school was shorter. I went to a special school. You also saw that school. It's now closed. Um, so I was able to get out of school a little bit early. And, you know, so I worked well during school. Now, this is important. I'm kind of segueing. I would drive people nuts. This was always through school. I would be doing like a, a paradiddles and flams just, you know, in school or on my, on my lap, you know, when 
just keeping my wrists and keeping my pedals. Now, I wasn't playing the accordion yet then. I didn't play the accordion until I got out of school. But I would, you know, work my feet, you know, just so I, I throughout the day, I would I would be tapping and I would be doing things like that. OK, um, so that's how I kept the drums going. The wrestling, the, 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 the fighting, everything, my movements throughout the day were always geared on trying to keep my elbows in, trying to keep my hands up or you know, just fighting in my mind. <clears throat> so that was always a part of my mind, too, when I wasn't drumming. Pac-Man, that's a whole different story because, you know, you had to be on that arcade machine, okay? You, there was no, there's no other way around it. Um, yes, there were patterns. You had to memorize those patterns. You had to, first of all, I had to develop my own pattern once I got past the ninth, what was called the ninth key. I had to come up with my own pattern and keep it going and going. After that, it becomes a matter of perfection, okay? You can't make a mistake or the machine can't make a mistake. But sometimes a joystick will screw up or, you know, it'll get moist from sweat and then you, you slip off. So that took a lot of effort. There's no, there's no practicing at your house for Batman unless you happen to have a dog on Batman machine. So I actually had to be there. And it was just luck that Pac-Man came around at the tail end of my learning to catch wrestling. Otherwise, there would have been, there would, I wouldn't have had the time. Um, something would have had to give, and it would have been Pac-Man. <clears throat> but once I got out of high school, um, then I had all the time in the world. You know, I could, you know, I could do all of it now. I, did, I didn't have to be in school. Um, the jobs that I did, I was trying to, I did some bouncing job. I, I did some like part-time jobs. All right. So when I, when I got out of high school, it was a horrible time in this country. Okay. Reagan was president. There was no jobs. It was like the second biggest recession um, since the great depression, you know, military enrollments were high. It was hard to find work. It really, it really was. Um, I think it was like $5 an hour or something like that for uh um, what do you call it? Uh, minimum wage and stuff like that. So, uh, I could play music. I could play music a couple nights a week and make 50 to 75 bucks. Okay. Each gig. All right. So now, and then also I could bounce and I could make you know, more than $5 an hour back then doing that. So I had time. I had, I, it was, it just all worked out <clears throat> for me. It just should have been better. I should have probably uh, pushed myself more, <clears throat> but it gave me time to really delve into the study of music. And by the time I was 21, that's when I started really studying music theory and I wanted to be an arranger and I did all this stuff. Um, but yeah, the hardest part is just time management. So sometimes I would have to split things up. All right, I'll always have my wrestling and my fighting, so that's never going to go. So that was always number one priority, keeping in shape, working out, and doing all my moves and everything. Um, but some days I would play Pac-Man. Other days I'd go out at night, shoot pool. Uh, you know, I would flip-flop. But once I got good at Pac-Man, there was no – there was no need to practice anymore. I mean, you just, it's all memorization. Like now I wouldn't, I don't remember the patterns, but pool, you, you got to really practice. You got to keep in shape with pool because that's a physical thing. Pac-Man is, you're, you're, you know, you're just using a little joystick. It's more mental. So yeah, I'd say two hours of pool or of, of Pac-Man 
when I was when I was really rocking and rolling. Now there may have been times in the beginning where I played longer. I don't I don't know, but um, for the people how many, who don't know, how many quarters would you go through in two hours? Oh, in the beginning, a lot. Well, at the end, one quarter. Wow. Because you know, I could I would never you know I was scoring over two million regularly on that thing. That took a long time. Um, so maybe fifty cents, but in the you know tw- maybe twice you know two two times, but um, but I went through a lot of quarters, man. Learning how to, I cut a lot of grass and shoveled a lot of snow just to have quarters to play the goddamn Pac-Man, you know. Because um, man, you just you, oh, are you? Man, like, let's say you start the game and you get eaten right away or shortly thereafter because you, you made a mistake. You just kind of sometimes I would just quit. I was just here, just take let's, let's you know eat me, just get it over with so I can restart the game again. Um, and then I would also play. This also took time because I would play with the owner of Mr. Heroes a lot. Man Beck, who I told you guys was a Korean martial art master. Him and his brother owned Ohio Black Belt Academy. Um, so we play, we play not partners, but, you know, play against each other. And he was pretty good. You know, he was up in the 200,000s, okay, which back then was good. You scored 230,000, you were good. Um, and when I first started playing, Man, his name was Man. He was better than me. Okay, but the guy that taught me how to show me Pac-Man and taught me how to play was better than man. So one day, the guy that taught me, Mark Anderson, he takes me over to Mr. Heroes to play Pac-Man. Okay, he was like 30. I was 16. That's exactly what I was. I was 16. And uh, boy, this guy put up like 250,000 or something on this machine. You know, and then uh, I go in there a couple days later or whatever on my own. And, man, the owner, I never spoke to the guy before. I was always in there just ordering up my Roman burgers, but I never spoke to him. My friend's mother worked there. He comes up to me. He's like, you know, we had an accent real thick. It was hard for me to understand him at times. But he asked me, who did this? Who put that 250 up there? Ah, I smiled. My friend. I said, my friend. So I watched man play. Man was almost as good as Mark, you know, um, just a little different pattern. So once I got good, I started to be, get better than man. Um, but the ironic thing is Pac-Man was just my thing. They had a Frogger machine right next to it. And man was really good at Frogger, <clears throat> much better than I could ever be. And it was interesting watching him because in my mind, I'm playing video games with Bruce Lee here. Okay. That's how I, and I watched man and I watched everything that he did and how he moved. And above the machines, they had photos of him you know, with a barbell in his mouth and, you know, just all this breaking bricks, you know, all that stuff, you know, um, from the, from the karate, from the Taekwondo dojo. So it was just like a surreal little experience. It was really cool though. But um, it just took perseverance, you know, just practice, practice, practice. There's just no shortcut, but you have to practice correctly. That gets us to the catch wrestling or or jujitsu or any martial art, especially if you're training on your own. You don't know if you're practicing correctly. 
You could be just blowing it, <clears throat> doing things improperly, and you'll never know until crunch time. Whereas on Pac-Man <clears throat> or Frogger or any of those video games, you screw up, you know instantly that you screwed up, okay? If you lose a life, you know, or you get eaten or whatever, well, you know that that was a bad move. So in that regard, it's almost self-educating. You have a parameter, uh, I mean, a parameter there that you have to fall into. Um, with the drums, I found out years later, I did a lot of things wrong. Okay, or uh, more diff I made things more difficult than I should have. If I would have had a good coach or a music instructor, music teacher, it would have probably saved me a lot of time. But um, my only exposure to music outside of records was on The Tonight Show, Johnny Carson. If, if Buddy Rich was going to appear or Louis Belson or some famous drummer, I'm going to tune in. I'm going to stay up late. I'm going to watch. And then the greatest thing that ever happened is when I was able to buy a VCR. And now I can record Buddy Rich or record whoever and watch it over and over and over. And that's how I learned um, how Buddy, that's how I learned that Buddy was using finger work. Because, you know, I couldn't really always pick it up. You know, um, you got to remember here, I had a 12-inch black and white television. That was our main TV, a little 12-inch black and white. <laughs> okay, so it was hard to see this shit. By the time I was able to get a VCR, I was, you know, I had money. I was out of school. Well, no, I think, I was, yeah, I was a senior or something like that. Um, I was working, doing stuff, too. Um, I also, we had a little better TV, like a 19-inch television. So I could see things a little better. So, and yeah, I was able to watch and rewind and pause it. There was, I don't think this thing even had slow motion. It was a Betamax. It was a Sony Betamax. It wasn't even a... VHS, um, and I watched, saw how Buddy was moving his arms. So I try to mimic that. And then that's the first time I ever saw a Bruce Lee movie ever was when I got a VCR. And I went to, um, I signed up for, um, yeah, to sign up to be like a member of these video clubs or whatever. And I rented a couple martial art flicks of his. And I slowed down. Like frame by frame, I tried to go when he was doing the nunchucks. So I, because I had nunchucks. And so I learned how to do the nunchucks by pausing Bruce Lee, you know, and watching how he did it. That's, that's how I, that's, that's the only tools that I, that I had. You know, you know I never really put it together with you on the drums, but so you, do you have any instructors growing up or was it like, did anybody show you or was it really? Okay, let's get to that. So I took, I was given the, the wonderful gift of two drum lessons <laughs> with this old codger. He was probably a very good drum instructor. I don't know. Ed Bobick was his name. So no, I can't say that I, I had lessons. I had two lessons, which was nothing. However, I had a friend in ninth grade who was a drummer. And very good rock and roll. Um, but he took lessons. He could read. He was in the ninth grade band. He was in a, he was in the band. Okay. Um, he, he had, a. I don't want to get too personal about the guy cause, but he had a, a little health thing. So he wasn't really able to participate in sports. He didn't do gym class or anything. 
Um, so, you know, he was, his whole life at that point was music. Um, and then later, I got to meet the drummer from the Daz band because the lady down on my street knew him. And then there was this kid across the street that also played the drums. He was older than me. He died sadly on his 21st birthday, on his birthday. Set up my drums. And then the Daz band drummer tuned my drums and just gave me like one lesson, like showed me some funky, you know, like funk R&B kind of licks, you know, um, grooves. So no, I never, but that, that was, but that was so gratefully appreciated. No, I never had any other, um, I think he played for the Daz band. I don't recall now. Daz or Ohio players or something, but it was some Cleveland band that made it kind of big. <clears throat> anyway, that was it for me. No, I, I really didn't have that drummer, uh, instructor. I wish in a way I wish I did, but it would have conflicted with my catch wrestling. I'm sure of it. Um, because that was the most important thing to me was learning how to fight. But I'm, I'm rambling, but I started playing the drums long before I learned how to fight because I was doing that, I guess, since I was a little baby. And I can remember getting spoons, tablespoons or teaspoons and pounding on telephone books, big, thick, I had the white pages and the yellow pages, man. And I'm, and I'm practicing, you know, on that until I could eventually get drumsticks. And then I got a toy drum set totally toy and then um i think i was in eighth grade when i got a cheap ass drum set called a stewart that was the brand stewart um that was my first drum i bought it from sam's music down on prospect in cleveland ohio so that was how i trans you know you know i guess what's the word you know how i delved into the world of drums Hmm. But once I got into the you know, learning how to defend myself, that was top priority because I was a nervous wreck in that neighborhood. It was dangerous. And uh, learning how to fight was the best thing for me. I wish I never had to. I wish I lived in a nicer neighborhood, but it wasn't to be. So I'll kind of do a survey of all the different disciplines. So when you were really training hard with Rodvan, you'd go to his house a couple times a week, two, three times a week. and More than that sometimes. Sometimes oh, yeah. every Sometimes every day, sometimes three days, sometimes, you know, once or twice, you know, over the course of five years, things change. Things vary up. So, but there could be times when you were like, I don't know, if you're there, if you're going to his house every day of the week, you're easily putting in probably like a dozen hours a week training or more. Or like when you weren't going to his house, were you then on your off days? Uh, how much time would you spend, you know, shadow boxing and shadow wrestling things, you know, drilling stuff? Three hours, easy. Wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no. I, well, again, until I got a weight bench, which wasn't much, I didn't lift weights, okay? I didn't have access to that. So all of it, I just did the conditioning that he showed me and, and then I get oh, just technique. So I didn't have to, like, spend an hour or whatever lifting weights that would take up more time too. Um, so it was just a priority of mine. And of course, as you get better, uh, you, well, okay. When you're not as good, there is some waste. You, you waste a little bit of time because you don't know exactly what you're doing. And, you know, you may have to, your conditioning may not be right, or you, you, you just got to practice it over and over and over again. Um, but, you know, 
as you get better, you, you, you don't need, you can cram a lot more in, in the same amount of time, or conversely, get more done in a shorter period of time. So you don't really need to, you know, put in that kind of effort. It's a different kind of effort as you get better. Sure, and you become more efficient at your training and the more efficient. you know. Yeah, efficient. You become much more efficient. Um, it, it was just always kind of hard. The hardest thing was like, like I could go to any game room, probably in the country for sure, and blow everybody away at Pac-Man. Or you could walk into a pool hall, and if you're the best, you could. Everybody's going to be blown away, right? But what was fighting? What I was doing, especially then, <clears throat> nobody was into grappling. Nobody, and there was no place for me to go. I had all this skill, and I. You know, the thought of me going somewhere and showing it off, no, you, you didn't do that. The only time you showed it off was when you had to use it, okay? Now, you could go to the boxing gym, which is what I did. And I could wrestle a little bit with the guys, but I can't go to town. You know, they're not interested in that. They would share back and forth. They would allow me to do things, and I would allow them to do things, and that's how we worked it out. But it's not like today where, you know, you can walk into an MMA gym or something like that and just blow everybody away. You know, um, you can't, that didn't exist back then. That, that just wasn't there. So that was kind of, um, later on, on reflection, it, it was kind of like a frustrating thing, and I didn't realize it at the time because <clears throat> I had no camaraderie, okay? There was no, there was no camaraderie like you would have it in all these other martial arts schools. You know, you got 30 guys or however many are in your school. You got that bond. So in a way, I was almost like with the fighting, homeschool when you think about it. And it really, it has some advantages naturally, but it has disadvantages. And part of the disadvantage was, you know, you become antisocial. I did not have a clique of other guys, like 20 other guys that were doing this, you know, doing the, the fighting like I was. So I was a loner. And then even today, even now, even on this podcast, 50 years later almost, I still don't know how to label myself because I was raised in my time, boxing and wrestling was not martial arts. You were absolutely, totally, completely, and utterly not a martial artist. You were never considered one by nobody. Now, don't let any asshole rewrite history because that's the facts. You were never considered a martial artist, okay? Martial arts back then was some exotic Asian uh, deal. and so, you know, it was, I, 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 and I did do some martial arts, you know, actual legit martial arts. You know, I didn't like coin the term, but um, when I would do anything, I'd box or I'd wrestle. That's, a, that's what I would get called. Oh, you're a boxer. Oh, you're, you're, you're a wrestler. Kind of like it was like an insult, you know, like, whoa, you're nothing. Really? Try me. So I never had, I never fit in. I never had a place in the martial arts world back then. Just, just, no. You understand? Like, yeah, but it sounds like your other pursuits had that social aspect to them, though. Because oh, even yeah. with, with Pac-Man, you, you, know, you, you kind of had friends who would play. Because I was yeah. trying to think about that. Is it, is it an advantage to be 
isolated, you know, because in some ways, like they often talk about there's the social trade-off, but a lot of times like homeschooled kids will be far ahead academically because if the, if the parents are conscientious, you know, and they can tailor the education to what the kids, where the kids at, as opposed to like, if I've got 30, a classroom full of 30 kids, it, it's inevitable that people are not, it's going to be a little diluted because I can't focus, you know? And so again, back to training efficiency or whatever. Um, so, <laughs> and I don't know. That's exactly. on the parents. If you got a couple of dimwits as parents, well, you're not sure. going to learn anything. Sure, but I mean, I'm assuming you have, like, if you have a good conscientious instructor, even if it's not like homeschooling, one-on-one -on -one instruction, whether it's like, uh, you know, it's going to be your best bang for your buck, per se. I mean, I think there's a time, like, I think for, I'm kind of rambling all over the place, too, because I do think there's an advantage for people who are fight training to be in a gym where there's multiple people that they can work off of. You know, because in some ways, if you're just training with the one person, a lot of times you start to learn that person's tricks. You know, you, you, you guys can anticipate each other a little bit. And that can kind of be um, uh, a dangerous, uh, like, Absolutely. you know. Um, but you do need a training partner. I mean, that's the thing. You know, it, it makes everything much better than having to always tangle with your instructor. I'm telling you because I'm coming from both ends. I tangle with my instructor and I'm the instructor and it's much easier. I always try to tell everybody, just bring somebody with you because sometimes you just, you have to step aside as the students, you have to step away and watch the instructor demonstrate the move on the person. Okay. Mm -hmm. You can't see it. You can't see sometimes everything that's going on. It's a little different with boxing, but not with wrestling because sometimes there's things that you just can't see. Okay. Um, and it's tough. And just like with the, what the personal training or the wrestling of martial arts, what people tend to forget is that you're not their only student. <clears throat> so if you're a successful coach, let's say you got 20 private lessons lined up or that let's, that's, you can't do that many, but let's just say you have like 10, Okay, and they're an hour each or 45 minutes. That's 10 straight hours of you doing your shit. You, you would, you'd be a waif. You can't do it. Okay, the first one or two hours, you might be fresh. But then after that, man, you know, you're going to get, it's going to take its toll. And believe me, with the submissions that we do, which are way more technical than anything else, you allow people over and over and over, day in and day out, month after month, year after year, to crank your joints like that, you're going to be in trouble, man. You're going to have lots of trouble. And and believe me, I've paid the price with my joints, you know, just for having – that's why one of the beautiful things is when you start to get advanced, you don't let these guys even tangle with you because the, the chance of you getting injured is too great. Um, and then what? You know, then you're out of a job or – then they're out of a coach. So you got to watch. That's why it is great to have a bunch of people. I did not have that luxury, but it would be great to have a few people that you can pick from five, six, go one at a time, you know, switch off, you know, that kind of deal. Um, and body structures make a big difference. You know, like we have Javier who's on a shorter end. Then you had bigger guys that used to come to the gym, you know? Um, so we had a variety of sizes, 
Okay. You had the average guy like Brian Deneve, you know, 170, 175 pounds, whatever. Um, you had uh, guys like me with that had strength and was a little heavier. Then you had guys heavier than me, but just didn't maybe not have the strength. So that's good too. Um, you know, it's good to have a variety to pull from. But ultimately, Joe, and I, I tell this to everybody out there, um, guys who have a lot of students, that doesn't necessarily mean they're great teachers, okay? Because we, we know personally, we've seen even some YouTube videos that, that have, you know, millions of views and, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers, and they're terrible. They're just, they're a complete joke. People don't know any better, though, okay? So sometimes the guys who are most, and Josh Pacini talked about this, the guys who are really successful seem to have kids' classes. That pays the bills. But the hardcore, really rough guys, they only may have three or four, maybe five. Who knows? Um, it's Not everybody's cut out to be a champion, but there's a lot of people that like to strut like they're a champion. You know, we see that too. But being a champion takes something very special. And a coach cannot put that in you. All a coach can do is get that out of you. Okay? That's what a good coach does. He takes that out of you, gets that developed, that which is already in you. And that's where it's the, the desire. You have to have the, the physical attributes and, and, and so on. Um, and a good coach will tell you straight out, you know, when, when, when they come to the realization that, hey, you're never going to be a champion. Yeah, maybe you just don't have it, you know. Um, you, sometimes that's a bitter pill to, to, to swallow, but it, it sometimes is, is true. So then, you know, again, I don't, I don't think in my day, in my life, I've told everybody this. I don't believe I was born with any special gifts. I think everything I did, I had to develop. So maybe I had the potential but the only thing that I was kind of given, I guess, was speed. I was fast. I could, I mean, my hands, I could run. I could, my hands were quick. Um, I think that, but I wasn't born. I don't, I never considered myself some kind of world-class athlete guy. I, I just felt like I worked, I worked hard at everything. And <clears throat> everybody I know that was ever great at anything worked hard you know, they, they just did. That's all I can say. So that should be a motivator to a lot of people that, you know, you can do it even if you don't think you can. You may not be the best that ever lived, you know, but you can be the best that you could ever be if you put your mind to it, you have the right instructor, and, and just have that desire. Well, cool. I think this was a, re a really good conversation. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm, I definitely want to pick your brain. It just kind of dawned on me at one point. I, I was thinking through some of our various conversations, and, I, and it was just kind of shocked me to think, you know, we didn't even touch on the fact, I mean, like your bench press is pretty, I would say, an elite level for your weight class even. And we didn't even touch on that, um, at least when you wanted to peak, because how much was your max bench? Well, 480 with no shirt, you know, they call it raw. And I weigh 220. I 
don't look at that as uh, I don't look at my no. There's some very phenomenal bench pressers, and like myself, met some, a lot of them were just drug free too. Um, sure, some did the drugs. The, that's what taints all the the weightlifting things is the use of performance enhancing drugs. Um, even now at my age, I'm approaching sixty, and I'll occasionally see somebody on the internet or something that's maybe even older than me. And he looks from the neck down like he's, you know, 25 years old. You know, this guy's popping testosterone, probably HGH. I mean, look at, look at, look at Stallone. He got caught with HGH and shit. Um, So I always stayed away from all of that because what good is it? It's fake. You're, you're hooked on this, any of these drugs for the rest of your life. You take, I mean, if you want to, if you want to keep that level of strength, it's just not, it's just something, if that's what people want to do, that's their body, go for it. It's not mine. Okay. That's just not the way that I want to be. I, when I saw Rod Vaughn at his age, he never did, he didn't know what a steroid was. Um, how strong he was at his advanced age. You know, Kevin, you knew Kevin that got killed. Look how strong that guy was. He never touched a drug in his life. You know, I mean, it can be done. I'm hoping that once again, the situation with my mother opens up <clears throat> and after the little surprise that we're going to make the announcement for. So let's basically say this. After this, after this year, 2021, so if things can change with my mother and I can get a caretaker here, starting in January, I would like to start to see if I can regain some of my strength. Uh, not to curl 270, not to bench 480, um, not that high, but I would like to get back to around a 400 bench. I'd like to, you know, curling is going to be a problem, not because just because my muscles are detached. Um, there's just not, they don't have the weight at Planet Fitness. They just don't have poundages that are heavy enough for me. Okay, that's the problem. They, you can't make your own dumbbells. You can't make your own barbells. You know the heaviest barbell they have in there? Barbell is 60 pounds, six zero. I could use it for a toothpick. I mean, what are you talking about? 60 pounds? Come on, what is this? Preschool? 60 pound barbell for what? It's insulting. Okay, nobody can get a workout with a 60 pound barbell. I mean, world class strength, you're not going to do it. You know, so, and the heaviest dumbbell they have is 60 pounds. Okay, so for me, with the curls, a 60 pound dumbbell, no, that isn't going to cut it. I was doing high reps with, with 100 pound dumbbells, you know, um, and, and barbells, we could make up anything we wanted you know, at, at my gym, you know, so um, that's going to hold me back, I think, you know, what am I going to do when I hit, you know, when, what can I, what can I do? But, well, you never know where you're going to land to, it could be other gyms and stuff, I mean, there's a lot in the next year, who knows? Well, we got to, we just got to keep hoping for the best, you know, so far, it's been nothing but false promises, and, you know, even, even, we're not going to, but even something that you were trying to work on for me that we discussed before the podcast today fell through. It's just nothing is panning out. Literally 
nothing. So <clears throat> um, something's going to have to change. But I will say this. Uh, I want to stay healthy. Okay, I don't need more injuries. And I don't need, you know, just the, the stress because my mind is on all this negativity of being trapped, you know, in this house and taking care of her. And, and she, <clears throat> it's always something creative, something new, a new, new thing that's heartbreaking. It's so sad um, with my mom to see her like this. It's hard to be, you know, mentally strong here and focus more than anything. So, um, but I, I need to start, you know, um, I, I need to take after this is all over and done with, I need to have at least a good year or two of, of all about me, you know, getting back, me going out and enjoying myself or me, you know, getting my strength back to where I want it to be. You know, I really want it, you know, to be, uh, I have certain limits in my mind, okay, limits that where I, where I think an elite athlete should be. Not a 60-year-old athlete, an athlete. I don't label myself as a senior athlete. You know, when I walk into a gym, I want to be able to lift as, as much as anybody in there, okay, no matter how old they are. Um, so that's a lofty thing. That's just how I am. Because one thing about fighting and self-defense, uh, you, you don't get any breaks becoming older. Old people get mugged. Old people get raped. Old people get killed, okay? People don't, people don't cut you slack. You know, this, this isn't some Pollyanna world we live in. So I've got to stay the toughest man in the world, the strongest man in the world, whatever. I've got to, I got to look at that. You know, I have to look at things like that. I, I can't just sit there and say, well, I'm okay for a 57-year-old man. No, I can't live like that, man. I can't. And if the day comes, I don't want to live. You know, if that day comes that I'm shot, I mean, not physically shot with a gun, but, you know, like I'm done. Uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a hard one to swallow. It's going to be tough. I went through this with the music. Well, the music was taken away from me. Okay. I didn't do anything. It just, I got, I had that aneurysm. It was taken away from me. So I've lived through this once. And I was able to delve into, thanks to Kevin, you know, lifting and getting all my physical strength back. But uh, I don't know if I could go through it again. To tell you the truth, all of this, this is just too much. <laughs> too bad you're not over at the house right now. We could order up another pizza. <laughs> That'd be great. So, so I want to... What? One of, one of the comments on one of our uh, podcasts, one of the people said that it should be a catchphrase for us at the end. Cause we, I think we had a guest on like, Hey, we need to go get some pasta. That's how we, we ended the thing. So I think we should always end with a, a call for Italian food. Hey, I like oil and garlic. Aglia olio, Okay. Or Iola for short too. Pasta Iola, pasta Aglia olio. That's what I like. Um, generally I don't, don't ever make me, don't anybody ever make me or take me for angel hair pasta. I won't eat it. Okay. I don't like angel hair pasta. I like that Bucatoni or Bucatini, I think it's called. Can't find that anywhere. But I'll normally have like either linguine or like fettuccine. You know, I like a little thicker um, or spaghetti number five noodles. Uh, but I personally like oil and garlic. That's my favorite. I like grilled 
grilled calamari, um, or I had it sauteed too. I like that. Uh, and veal francese, which is the lemon. Those are some of my favorite Italian. Those are, I could eat the, that stuff every day. And uh, it's, it's been a while since I've had that. What I is about, I think it's lunchtime, it sounds like. <laughs> is it? Yeah, two more minutes. Yeah, I got to make her lunch. And then uh, I uh, bought some green salsa with guacamole in it or something. I don't know. Mm. I, I can't, it's hard for me to shop because I can't leave her alone. So I'm quick, like in and out. So um, I'm going to try that. And I bought this uh, habanero so hot sauce. Uh -oh. When I was a kid, I could never do this stuff. Now I, I'm going to test myself. Now I can eat a little hotter stuff. So what I might do is try the guac or try the salsa, you know, with a chip, see how it is. Maybe put a little of habanero in there to make it a little kicker. Uh, and, and maybe I'll just have a little bit of that. My uh, Cleveland, well, first of all, my Ohio State Buckeyes got crushed yesterday. I don't want to talk about it. Tonight, tonight, the Browns play the Ravens. And everybody that knows me knows how, how disgusted I am with, with the Baltimore Ravens. Um, and, you know, I do not expect Cleveland to win tonight. I don't. I think the Ravens are going to do it, but I'm always going to pull for my Browns. So I'm going to get to watch the game tonight at the house here. And uh, that's that. I got some stuff that I actually have to film, but I'm going to probably do that tomorrow. I'm not, I told you before, I'm just not feeling good. My, my knees, my legs are hurting for some reason. Must be my back. But, um, but yeah. All right. Well, next week, I think you should report back on how the habanero experiment goes. Well, and if you don't see me, then you'll know how it went. <laughs> exactly. Or if I'm doing a remote podcast from my bathroom, you know, okay. <laughs> I mean, come on. I don't know, man. If you, do, if you do next week standing up, we'll know how it went. Yeah, right. Oh, I hope not, man. I, I tell you, I've uh, had some, when I was able to still go out, there was this guy that had an Indian bar restaurant over here. I don't even know if he's still open, but um, he would make the curry, and it, it was a gradual thing. Give me more, give me more, give me more. Hotter is what I should say. Give me more, more, more. And then one time it was too much. I ate it, but I it was bad for me. It was a really, really, really bad thing. And I told him about it. So you're going to have to back it down, back it down a notch or two, because it was just a little bit too much. By no means am I one of these world's eating champions. You know, I can't eat that kind of hot stuff. All right. But I've noticed that every time I go to buy the hot sauce, it really wasn't hot. It just wasn't. So that's why I decided, well, let me just try something called habanero. I don't know how hot this is going to be. It may be very hot. I mean, I'm just going to you know, take a little piece. Right. Right. If, if, if it's if it's too hot, then I'll give it to Scott because he likes hot stuff. Um, other than that, you know, um, you know, why bother? You know, um, I'm just gonna, you know, uh, I'll try it. <laughs> That's all I could say. All right. All right, buddy. Good so talking I, to you, man. Very interesting conversation. So. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting people out there, you know, but the internet kind of blusters and a lot of bullshit, you know, but the fact of the matter is in closing, 
you, I've not, I've not seen anybody except these acrobats. I've not seen anybody that can't be duplicated. You can do it. Everybody can do it out there. Okay. Um, just, just try. Okay. I've never seen anything impossible. You know, even Buddy Rich, as great as he is, there's guys out there that are right there. Not, just maybe a smidge slower or something, but there were, there were some guys that kind of got close. So it can be done. Um, but just remember one thing about Buddy Rich. Everybody was chasing him. I don't, to this day, don't think we ever saw the ultimate Buddy Rich. I think he had another gear. He never needed to do it because he was a musician. There was more than just speed. But anyway, guys, try your best. Get a good coach. Get that burning desire. And the only thing that you probably will never be able to do is be as, as handsome and as charming as Joe Cardinal. That may be the only impossibility. Well, that's right. I think just to keep your goals realistic, I think is what, what you're trying to say. Right. Yes, absolutely. All right, guys, we will uh, see you next week. With a, hopefully Nico will be soon. I think he should be able to come back okay. online. Yeah, hopefully the prodigal son will return. Okay. All right. See ya. Thank you.